Hey folks, welcome to Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. This is season one, episode 29, which we are calling The Vitrudian Man, in honor of our special guest, Dian Bahar. You may remember Dian from such films as Orgasmo, Basketball, and The Murders of Brandywine Theater. Dian is a man of many talents, and we're proud to share with you some of his stories from early life, acting, and what's in store for him. Yeah, and before we figure out if he's still suppressing hamster style, um, let's go ahead and get a few things out of the way. One, we are Chelsea, who is currently not voiced in this intro. Joe and Mark, three friends who love talking pop culture and bringing our passion for our favorite properties directly to your ears. And if you happen to just stumble across our little podcast today, um, you can go ahead and find us normally by searching Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, because we're just about everywhere now. And in the event that you prefer to do all of your podcast listening on social media or find it there, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at DigitalSect1 on all of those social media sites where we do share more pop culture news and current information. We also have a blog that we're still doing, uh, and it's pretty fun to read and figure out stuff that we, uh, we like to talk about through texting as opposed to actually, you know, verbally, all that fun stuff. So, yeah, uh, I think it's just about time we get into this interview. Well, everyone, today's special guest has many fans within the Dissection crew. He starred in films such as Orgasmo, Basketball, The Murders of Brandywine Theater, and The Man in the Silo. He is the winner of the Leonardo da Vinci Award from the Beaux Arts Society for Best Actor in a Debut Performance, as well as Best Actor for his work in the 2012 film Coaching Me Softly at the 48-Hour Film Project Awards. He will be appearing in the upcoming Guillermo del Toro film Nightmare Alley, which releases on December 3rd, we hope, pending any potential curveballs. <laughs> but yeah. we welcome today actor, director, producer, and writer, Dean Bahar. How are we doing, Dean? Hi, how are you guys? Thanks we're for having me. Great. Thank you. <laughs> we are yeah, and glad you're great. I'm feeling good too. Yeah. One accolade <laughs> uh, that was not listed in that opening there is interior decorator. I do like what you got going on behind you there. That's pretty cool. Like the Denver, Colorado, oh. you've got behind you, and oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's um, nice. Yeah, that's the Colorado things in old Elich's uh, Elich Gardens poster. It's uh, it's not around anymore. It was around for a long time. It was like a botanical gardens for a while, and then a, a zoo, and then it oh. turned into an amusement park. And it's uh, the theater. I think is still there. That's an historic landmark. But yeah, that place has a crazy, amazing history, and it. Um, it all got torn down, like back when, back in the '90s, I think. Oh, but I went there all the time as a kid. And then on the left is actually some really mm -hmm. cool artwork by a friend of mine, by uh, by the name of Nate Subert. And uh, yeah, we've got a bunch of his artwork around, actually. Very cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great. yeah. The uh, the Denver one reminds me of actually like the old Barman Bailey like circus posters, like the uh, the yeah, let me see you. to them. Oh, oh yeah, that's cool. awesome. Yeah, it's like really, it's like old school looking. It's really cool looking. <laughs> I like old things. Well, 
even though we're a podcast, we'll find a way to screenshot that for folks. We'll put it in the uh, in the notes because I mean, it is really cool. I mean, I, I've made the mistake too, Dan, of like making faces, and then I go, "Oh wait, no one can see me. That's, no one can this see is that. awkward." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. We'll 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 make sure we get that in. But uh, once again, we can't thank you enough for joining. I mean, uh, we're all obviously big fans of you, and really, um, what we thanks. wanted to do, yeah, we wanted to make sure that uh, we did a little bit of digging into you know, the, the DN that folks may not be familiar with. Right. And, you know, whenever um, we make mention of things like Wikipedia's or, you know, some of these uh, aggregate collecting websites, right. They, they don't always tell a full story. A lot of times we just get footnotes and we, we get maybe little pieces of information here and there. So um, yeah, we were interested to understand a little bit about your, your early days. We understand you're from Colorado and want to dig a little bit into that. If you can give us the, I guess the earliest days of, of Dean Bahar. Um, yeah, I am from Colorado, born and raised in uh, Denver, then moved to Littleton when I was, uh, I think 10. And my parents are still there. They're still in Littleton. My sister's in Littleton, went to the university of Colorado and that's where I met Trey and Matt. I was in the uh, film program there. I got a, a BFA in film production. So I actually worked on a bunch of student films and actually learned how to make movies which in retrospect, I think is really good for any actor. I think it's good to know all the nuts and bolts and pieces and components that make a movie. Cause I think too often an actor assumes that it's all about them and they don't really realize or maybe acknowledge the fact that they're just a little part of the puzzle. And uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of pieces coming together for all of it. So it was great. I actually learned how to make movies. I worked on student films with Trey and Matt and uh, Cannibal the Musical was first, uh, First big thing we did together, that was Trey's um, senior thesis film. And he was able to get financing from some professors and some uh, students' parents and uh, pulled it together. We filmed most of it during the bulk of uh, spring break while we were in college. It was during my junior year. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool because it, it turned out really great. And it also uh, launched them into being able to have you know, a bigger film career as well. They, they shopped it around for a while, but it didn't get picked up in a lot of festivals. And finally, Troma actually picked it up. And uh, they were willing to distribute it. And Trey and Matt were just thankful that somebody wanted to look at it. And uh, Troma kind of just made it into a cult hit with their fan base, which was cool. And it just kind of took off and generated more interest. And then Trey and Matt did the, uh, the Spirit of Christmas cartoon with MTV. And that just kind of kept the ball rolling and they were able to get me uh, um, a part in Orgasmo, which is great because they were able to get financing for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I flew out from uh, from Colorado to do Orgasmo and was out here for about six weeks, I think, a little mm -hmm. over a month. And then I uh, flew back and had a little bit of money from that and decided that that was going to be the kind of the kick in the pants to make me decide to go on out here because they actually graduated um, two years before I did. And after I graduated, I just kind of hung out for a while. I worked a couple of really cool jobs. I worked as a, a caregiver for uh, special needs and uh, mentally handicapped adults. And it was mm -hmm. one of the best jobs I ever had, but I really wanted ultimately to do something creative and to eventually make my way out to LA. So when we did Orgasmo, that was kind of the motivator to make me go, okay, I'm going to pack all my stuff into U-Haul and drive out here. And I I uh, slept on their couch for, for months, for about <laughs> six months, but it was a beautiful place. It was um, in Playa del Rey, which is a really awesome spot just south of uh, Venice Beach. 
it's kind of this own little private area, but it's kind of got a party atmosphere to it. So they call it the jungle where we lived. And uh, <laughs> it's literally a beach party almost every night. It was kind of insane. And uh, I, I worked as uh, a waiter. I got a job as a waiter at Acapulco restaurant, which is sort of like a Tex-Mex restaurant. And then I got a job working also at a coffee shop called Tanner's Coffee and really hit it off with the owner there and became the manager of Tanner's oh. Coffee. So I managed the coffee shop for a while in Playa del Rey, which is another awesome job. I really had a great time with that. Met some very cool people doing that mm -hmm. and uh, basically supplemented my income with uh, with the stuff I made from, uh, from Orgasmo. And then uh, then basketball came along. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I don't I'm kind of taking over the interview here <laughs> no no that's the point <laughs> oh. i was gonna say we we uh, we don't have any issue with that i remember um we obviously sent you like the outline that we go by but that's that's just an outline it's just like yeah. the pirate guidelines right no, like we don't have to follow those to the no. letter no, no, no. um it, but not to get uh too far away from it though dean now if i remember correctly your high school that you attended also had kind of like an acting reputation and like or at least a a reputation for you know putting on theater productions um was that still the case back when you attended or was that more of a, a thing that happened after yeah yeah we uh we were the i was the first graduating class to go all the way through chatfield high school and mm -hmm. um yeah i was big in the theater department there i loved theater I, I did tons of plays i was the president of the uh, drama club and uh yeah i was also in speech and debate which is a uh, a thing called forensics, which mm -hmm. does not only debate, but um, acting. There's like mm -hmm. people do scenes and they do uh, 10 minute uh, single scenes where they'll do like a dramatic reading or they'll do a paired scene with somebody. But you compete at a like a major state level and then a national level eventually if you make it that far, which mm -hmm. I did. I actually won the state championship. I took first place in Colorado my senior year and then oh. went to the nationals and bombed. I didn't, I didn't do well. <laughs> it was still a really cool experience. And I was involved in that all throughout high school. Yeah. And, um, I would love to go back there and check out a school play. I think that would be so cool. Cause it's, uh, um, fond, nothing but fond memories of that place. Very cool. Do you remember what scene you did that got you to, uh, because I've, I've, I've helped with forensic stuff with, uh, with my high school too. Do you remember what scene you did oh, really? that got you to state? Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, it was really fun. I remember, uh, we did, um, a few friends and I did uh, the scene from um, uh, the Lord, uh, not, not the Lord Rings, the Hobbit, where um, they're going to actually right where they meet Gollum. Uh, so that was, oh, uh, that cool. was a fun that's scene. a good scene. Yeah, yeah, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. I yeah, did. I was a big fan of yeah. Sam Shepard, so I actually did um, a scene from Fool for Love. It was actually, um, I will admit, it was a little clever. I think I actually combined three different scenes mm -hmm. from different parts of the story and combine them into one 10 minute scene. I did a oh, kind of a collage that worked together. And uh, I think that was part of the reason why I did really well. Cause people were like, wow, that's, that's sort of the scenes, but wait, it's come, it's, where's it going now? Yeah. And so it kind yeah. of worked together. I made this other thing and I actually added a little bit of dialogue because to be honest with you, I'm horrible at memorizing lines, but I'm very good at improvising. <laughs> Thank God. So I've been like my <laughs> most of my acting career so that I can, hopefully come up with something that kind of works sometimes, but I did it unfortunately a lot when I was at the state competition because I was scared, but mm -hmm. it worked. And the stuff I came up with on my own, they didn't know it was my own. <laughs> they thought it was, like, <laughs> so it, it, it was kind of a fun experience because I was like, man, maybe I should 
write. Maybe I should write my own stuff too. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. There's a, a saying we have in sales, Dean, where, um, you know, if you do screw up, it's not like the person on the other side of the phone typically knows that you are, right? Yeah. So it's it's awesome that you're able to ad lib because, you know, people that see it, it's just organic. It feels right, you know? And so it usually works yeah. out better that way because, yeah, it does. It feels not like a line. It doesn't feel rehearsed. It's more of you just being true to trying to get that information out. Like I knew what the information was I had to share. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't remember the exact words to get it there. So I kind of made my own, but it, like you said, it, it comes out more organically that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And what a compliment for that, uh, that people just assumed that's what it was supposed to be the whole time. Cause that's how good it was. Yeah. Thank God. Cause yeah. <laughs> Maybe they would have just qualified me. I don't know. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, we obviously will get into um, you know some of your your works here, and 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 we were definitely interested in hearing about some of the the background behind it. But you know, when I was uh, doing some research, this is right when we first you know met. Um, I was interested in learning just a little bit more about you, and mm -hmm. and looking at some of your interests along the way. And I noticed that you befriend a lot of animals in your travels. Uh, <laughs> in, in particular, uh, yeah. there, there's a black squirrel that I saw a video of that you took, uh, yeah. and obviously like trips. Yeah, that was zoo. in Toronto, Toronto, oh. the squirrels there. I was amazed. They're all black They're Um, yeah, I don't know enough about squirrels, but yeah, <laughs> for some reason they're all black up there and I'd never uh, seen that down in LA. They're all brown hair or kind of a, a grayish black, kind of a, I guess, salt and pepper squirrel. If they're older, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I uh, I do I do love animals. I get to uh, I get to meet a lot of them. Fortunately, where I'm at, I'm in Tarzana, which is a really cool little spot in the valley in LA. It's about maybe 25 minutes northwest of Hollywood, and um, it's got a cool history. Actually, I'm a huge fan of uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, the guy that wrote Tarzan, amongst yeah. tons of other stuff. He wrote these other things called the. Uh, 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 John Carter on Mars, and uh, he made tons of money from uh, from from doing Tarzan. And with that money, he bought a huge plot of land, and he became a cattle rancher with his family. And so that was their big business. And after he passed away, he he his family donated his property, his whole ranch, to the state of California. And in honor of him, they turned his property into a city and named it Tarzana. Wow. That's so I, 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 t I live on his old cattle ranch, which is so cool because I'm also right next to uh, there's what's called the Orange Line, which is um, kind of like the above ground subway that's over here. It's, like, it's its own road. But what it runs on now is what used to be an old railroad line. So I'm assuming that's probably where he loaded and unloaded a lot of cattle and supplies and things. So I'm really next to probably one of the busiest sections of his ranch is where I'm at. So it's kind of yeah. got a cool history that way, but there's a lot of wildlife in the complex where I'm at, where we've got like these Cooper Hawks with these new, oh, yeah. a new family. They have, they've been here for years, but each, each year they have new little babies that show up and they turn into teenagers and start screaming <laughs> and chasing each other around. <laughs> and we've got owls and we've got raccoons and possums and squirrels <laughs> and uh, hummingbirds. So, yeah, it's nice. It's actually really cool to find all that stuff in the city, which you don't really associate with Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got yeah. a whole like a little wildlife preserve out there. Yeah, yeah. The sound of it. I know. I miss, I miss <laughs> yeah. Colorado. I miss the mountains. 
I miss that atmosphere oh, a lot. So I think maybe this is the closest I can be to that on level ground. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's really awesome because uh, you know my folks have uh, their own land out here in Wisconsin where we see you know bald oh, eagles at times. Um, oh wow! Yeah, you get to see a lot of mm -hmm. things that you just don't expect. It's not that far from Madison capital, you know, but like that kind of stuff is just cool to see in the moment. And, um, and honestly, I thought it was really cool that, you know, obviously with the, the nature that's around you, um, obviously you're into animal welfare and, and looking into your recent turn into exploring the vegetarian life. I, I wanted to focus on that for a second because Joe and I both have at points done that. I did, I was vegetarian for 16 months. Uh, I, I think I, I stopped doing that about six months months ago. Um, you can tell I'm pretty round for my, my face, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I couldn't help but notice that you actually went out and made ratatouille from, I mean, literally the same thing from the yeah. movie. How did yeah. that, how'd that meal end up for you? I'm really I was, curious. I was watching the movie one night and I was like, I'm going to make that. Why not? So I checked it out. I got the recipe and I, I did it and it actually turned out really good. And I was kind of surprised by how good I could make zucchini taste and things like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was good. I, yeah, I'm actually really trying hard to make the switch into more of a, a vegetarian diet. And I really do feel a, a marked difference when I make the effort. Um, I noticed that I'm less lethargic if I don't eat meat. Um, mm -hmm. But mostly I, I just try to also avoid wheat and corn. Those have caused a real problem with me. And it's... Uh, I feel so much healthier without those things in my life. I think it's hard for everybody to digest corn anyway, but mm -hmm. that, that's something I really try to avoid. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I make this joke quite a bit, Dean, and I apologize, but uh, you know, I live that, that lactose intolerant life. So I feel like I'm rolling a dice almost every day with some of the choices that I make. Um, one of the biggest, <laughs> one of the biggest yeah. differences was uh when i when i did vegetarian full-time was just the fact that yeah your body feels totally different your your joints feel different your like inflammation that you once had that you never really questioned is gone i mean it's mm -hmm. it is yeah incredible. all that went away from me also you should try maybe maybe try uh avoiding wheat and corn too because that actually was a major thing for me it made my joints not hurt anymore i didn't have any joint pain i didn't have any nausea anymore i didn't have any uh constant with lethargy lethargy I, I was always tired no matter how much i napped and uh yeah yeah it, it changed everything for me i lost a bunch of weight too it was crazy because i think your body also stores a lot of that is um it's like sugar corn is really sugar. oh yeah pretty so much stored as fat in your body it's like pure sugar that's why they make corn syrup yeah. it's crazy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well, I mean, and this is not to uh, hit on anything, Dan, but I mean, you look great. You look awesome. I mean, uh, I can see the difference, and and this is oh, even this is the first time I've I've seen you in person, right? But, um, but yeah, looks great. And um, one well, one other thing I wanted to revisit for a moment from our our first conversation was it was something that you kind of dropped some breadcrumbs on, but I don't know if it was ever explicitly stated, you know, in your social media, and that is your your affinity for some of the nerdy things that a lot of us love uh, that uh, we, we talked about a little bit, but I did see specifically uh, a one of 99 card from the Mandalorian that you picked up uh, <laughs> that I, I've got to say, I, I collect, I, I collect cards. Joe knows this. He's actually helped me open up cards of the walking dead. So he knows how, how obsessed I am with some of this stuff, but interested to know, I mean, how high does that nerd, 
freak flag fly for you? We're, we're interested in finding out. I have a new card I can show you. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that are listening at home, Dean just got up. He's he's grabbing a card to show us. Oh, oh that is nice. cool. It's another one of the medallion cards. I think the one I showed you before you saw online was uh, it actually had the Mandalorian on it, but it was the same kind of thing with a medallion on it. But yeah, it's a one of 99, which is kind of cool. Ooh, yeah. But yeah, I'm a total nerd for all that stuff. My wife thinks it's crazy mostly, but it's uh, <laughs> well, the, thing, the thing is toys and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, there is a nerd aspect to it, but it also it's it's art. I mean, it really it's mm -hmm. I yeah. I consider myself an art collector as much as anybody that might want to collect other paintings or things that they put on the wall. It's it's uh, it's it's art like little action figures or little sculptures mm -hmm. that I can yeah. play with. <laughs> it's like yeah. uh, it's art you can move around that you can kind of interact with, which I think makes it even more interesting to some degree. But it's uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I just I. I love movies and I love TV and I love pop culture. So I collect things that give me a, a warm feeling when I look at them again, because I, I, I appreciate the nostalgic value that's, that's held there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm always a sucker for just like the craftsmanship of like, of, of different action figures and toys. They're getting um, so good now too, because yeah. they can do all the 3d scanning and stuff. So it, it looks exactly like it's the person. Sometimes it's insane. Absolutely. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm right there. Do you guys all collect yeah. those? I mean, do you guys all? Chelsea, do you collect anything? <laughs> um, no, I'm not a huge collector. I do. Um, <laughs> I do have a lot of appreciation for things like that, but I try not to accumulate a lot of um, a yeah. lot of items in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a pain in the ass to move. <laughs> That's what I'm tracking all this shit up. I'm like, I'm looking at all the things I'm placing strategically to look cool, and I'm like, I'm gonna have to put that away one day in a box, and it's gonna take a long time to do all this. <laughs> well, I'm right I know there the with few you. that I have too. They're, um, I don't know if I could ever pack them away if I could get them together again in the way that they are right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, the, the amount of space that it takes up i mean i'm right there with you i i have i think i have more things in totes right now than i do have on display um just because my, my basement right now dn is uh kind of half shared by my kids and half shared by the rest of us um that's why i blur the background so that uh i mean there's a trampoline back there and all kinds of stuff i thought um, you're traveling to another dimension or something <laughs> <laughs> I, I pretty like much right never... the edge of the vortex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the at the nexus of the universe down yes. here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> at the corner of first and first, Mark blurs all reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but no, I, I totally agree with you though, because uh so the trading cards that I collected from The Walking Dead are in the same vein. There's a lot of these pieces that were uh cut from actual like show worn, you know items and so oh, cool. you know they, they place those right into the card and so i mean oh yeah yeah, yeah. i do those with with uh, soccer cards too they have a uh, little pieces of the soccer jerseys of the players that are supposed to have been supposedly uh, worn in a game oh, so you yeah. have a little tangible piece of of a connection to that person i guess yeah which is cool because it's it's uh it's a concept that's been around for a long time it's kind of it's it's magic it's supposedly magic 
<laughs> it could be supernatural. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that if you had the cards and a lock of hair, you could cast a spell on that player or actor. Yeah, I'm yeah. supposed to be able to. I think that's what it's for. Yeah, I mean that all the TV shows that I've watched have taught me that. Like that's how it's supposed to work. Only if that you is believe. like a like a touch of Latin, yeah. and it, it'll be done. Yeah. <laughs> true. Well, good segue for Dean here. So, um, speaking of believing, Dean. Um, we also combed through some of your social media and noticed that you posted about UFOs, uh, in particular, uh, a, a case where something that was observed in the skies looked like there was no way that it could have just been like a solar flare or, you know, they always love to say like these, these pockets of like gas in the air and things like oh, yeah. that. Do Definitely you remember? Swamp reflecting off the light of Venus. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, do you remember posting that story? I'm not sure, not offhand. I mean, I post, I've shared a lot of UFO stuff, I think, through the years. I don't know. What else did I, did I say something about it? Yeah, specifically you mentioned that uh, because of how this this object moved in space, and especially the fact that it had It wasn't something things. I'd filmed, though, right? It was an article that I was sharing. Yeah, about. yeah. This was an okay. article. Yeah, this was okay. specifically not a, anything that you'd filmed. But uh, I didn't know if, if uh, interest in UFOs was something that, was like a, a lifelong pursuit or if this was something that uh, you know kind of came up organically oh no i've always yeah i've always been into it I, i've always thought it's been a possibility i mean i think it's a fun idea just from uh, a creative aspect just i mean i grew up watching star wars so i think and battlestar galactica so that was like my first introduction to the idea of people from space being cool <laughs> so, yeah, I've always entertained that idea, but then it also became something that seemed realistic because why not? I think it's almost kind of silly to assume to assume that we are the only planet that has people like us or creatures like us or things that are at this level of intelligence. And there's tons of evidence out there that there's stuff out there we don't know the hell it is. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to say I know for sure there's aliens, but I'm totally open to that idea. I think it seems reasonable. Yeah. 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 If anything, um, you know, I, I, I grew up for about 10 years of my life in Kansas. And uh, for about two of those years, it was right next to this lake, which was like surrounded by, you know, farmland. And we saw weird things all the time out there. It did not help that the X-Files had just come out. <laughs> so so every time uh i walked over a manhole cover or just looked up into the skies at night i went god is something trying to abduct me kill me you know <laughs> experiment on me whatever uh so no, i i figured i'd look into it a little bit because um if you can't tell obviously that that whole part about us being nerds in our podcast name um it does mean quite a few nerds listening to us, um, whether it's movie okay. nerds, video games, you know, what does it mean to be a culture in general? What does that term mean now? What do you Ooh. think that means? That's that is a great question. Yeah. <laughs> we did, we did cover that because I don't think it means the episode. same thing anymore. I think that mm. I think it's 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 evolved, yeah, absolutely, completely. Um, yeah, it's yeah. um, the connotation associated with it now, I think it's more of uh, a pop culture embrace. But it's mm -hmm. yeah. um, coupled with very creative people, I think, especially because I think in part due to the cosplay mm -hmm. factor, mm -hmm. you know, people really love the idea of not only enjoying other people's stories, but 
kind of trying to figure out a way to be a part of that story too. Yeah. Yeah. And really embrace it and then make it their own, which is cool. And that's, uh, that's like, that's not nerd to me. That's not, that's like really creative, intelligent people. Yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, cause like, I think like growing up nerd was always said that him was like a negative connotation. Like, Oh, this yeah. is some, some guy who's really good at math, but really bad with people. Yeah. Um, it used to have <laughs> a very negative connotation. I'm thinking, God, there's nothing negative that I can no. think about it. <laughs> and maybe well, that's because I'm no, a nerd. Maybe now that's why I just don't, uh, I've got those blinders on. So I don't know. Yeah, I think I mean I think so a little bit too. I'm in the same realm. I think uh, we talked about uh, before, like we've we've talked about, like nerd is much more about being passionate about something and really taking that passion and living with it, no matter what it is. You can be mm -hmm. like you know a traditional like I love math. I'm a, I'm a math yeah. nerd, or you could even be a sports true, nerd. Yeah. The people yeah. who are typically thinking like Jocks, like no, 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 I know the ins and outs of my. Yeah, see, there again, that's that's yeah. that's a perfect example of how that has actually evolved. The evolution of the concept of being a nerd now is actually more means that you're actually really knowledgeable about something. Yeah, <laughs> like. That's and that's crazy that I should ever be laughed at. Yeah, like, well, what? I don't think it is anymore. I think it's yeah. enthusiasm, it's passion, it's a community, it's expression. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's it's great, and nerd culture is here to stay. I would think so. I yeah. hope so. Yeah. And actually, this this leads in pretty well, I think, into our. Are, are actually our first fan question of this episode. So Dean, normally we'll leave our fan questions for the end of the episode. Today though, okay. we wanted to kind of pepper it throughout because a lot of it, the, the fan questions that we got tied into some of the topics that we uh, ended up covering. So uh, Joe actually has the first question for you and uh, Joe, go ahead yeah. when you're ready. I do, here we go, we're gonna start with the first one. Uh, we've got fans who've met you in person, Dean, have mentioned that your energy and positivity are immeasurable. And we would just like to know how do you maintain this spirit and perpetual sense of fun throughout your career? It's mostly acting skill because I hate people. Here, <laughs> <laughs> here. I don't know. You know, when I when I first started acting in high school, um, for me it was uh, not only just fun to do in an art form in and of itself, but it was also a way for me to meet people. There's a way for me to break the ice and actually have somebody have something to talk to me about. Like when I would go to those forensic competitions and compete with other high schools, I was so scared to talk to everybody. I was scared to talk to most people. I was really an introvert. And I think that it really kind of broke me out of my shell because I was forced not only to get up and perform in front of people, but I had to talk to them afterwards too. Yeah. And I, there were a lot of people that were really nice to me and that, wanted to talk to me and I was forced to be friendly and which was a good thing because it, it really yeah. made me come out of my shell more. And um, I've always thought of acting as being a really great way to not only tell stories, but for people to be able to hopefully become friends with me. I can hopefully meet other people and learn from them and maybe become a better person if I learn more from them and learn about other stuff I wasn't aware of. But I, I, I get that ice broken because they come up to me sometimes more often than I would go to them, which is very helpful because I am still very introverted. I am very shy. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a constant hurdle. Yeah. 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 yeah that can be very difficult. I mean, even um, uh, one thing I think we've, we've, we've <laughs> talked about before is how like 
one of the bigger ways that um, like productions get off the ground or actors talk to people are when they go to these massive like comic cons now, like comic con again, like that, that nerd culture thing is more at the forefront because yeah. like people go to comic cons as opposed to uh, necessarily red carpet things or uh, other ways that uh, we may have gotten out before and mm -hmm. how some some actors have talking about, I know Jesse Eisenberg talked about this too, how like he was terrified the first time he went to one, he was just completely overwhelmed by the absolute. There's so many people. It. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I think if you're just, uh, if you're afraid of large groups and you're just claustrophobic in any, in any aspect in to any degree whatsoever, that place is going to freak you out. Any convention is going to freak you out <laughs> sometimes because there's just so many people. So yeah. like the, the comic con in San Diego I haven't gone to that in years, but it's really, mm -hmm. it's too big for the space that they have there. They need to move that thing Ooh. to Las Vegas or something. Cause it's just, it's overwhelming. There's just yeah. too much mm -hmm. packed in there. And it's, it's, you get Jesse Eisenberg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and who wouldn't feel overwhelmed by that? Like you said, Oh, like I think uh, uh, Chelsea and I finally went to a concert this weekend for the first time since, everything's starting to get lifted and i felt overwhelmed by just yes the amount of people at that place let mm -hmm. alone you know a san diego comic-con yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah they're they're really cool they're they're fun i mean i think they're awesome i think it's a great way to to meet people and interact in a marketplace to to promote and sell but yeah it's 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 rough because it's like it's this weird like line they're writing because they don't want to be too popular because then there's yeah. too many people Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah. and then it becomes miserable so it's <laughs> kind of crazy well you know i i can't think of a better way to to kind of bring things back to cannibal for a moment because we're talking about feelings of being overwhelmed coming out of your shell you know all kinds of people in one space and i, I always wanted to ask about cannibal the musical because um you know th this was an internship credit for you correct when you were uh, at the university yeah, I think I did. Yeah. When I was a, a film major, I think we did get, yeah, we had to work on a, a production, a product, a professional production while we were in school as with an internship. I think it was an internship credit. And, yeah. um, well, yeah, it was definitely for a class, but I, I was able to get that taken care of because it was technically a professional thing. So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I, I remember reading into the background of this because I was one of those people that that got the Tro Masterpiece collection, the 13 year anniversary DVD. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah my friends and I, we all, I think I told you this too in our, our discovery call that we, we listened and watched this in, in uh, college. I mean, it was celebrated almost every week. We would come together and just, you know, have food, watch the movie. That's awesome. But yeah, some of the stories I wanted to hear about from this, though, related to some of the commentary I would see later on it, which was talking about maybe some more of the some of the squabbles that happened behind the scenes from what once again this isn't stuff that i had firsthand knowledge of this is just what people are saying um i was interested to hear about what the what the vibe was behind that set and and how it was operated because like you mentioned it was largely a student-run film um that the university encouraged funding for and didn't know mm -hmm. if you could shed some light on it for us what the what the environment was like behind that film well, I don't remember there being any squabbles. I mean, maybe there were, but I wasn't involved in any. I just really, I just had a great time. I felt like I was on a spring break educational field trip where we basically went to a lot of the same locations that Alfred Patrick actually went to. So we mm -hmm. 
took this cool journey. And I actually, I think the only things I remember there being conflicts with were with maybe the weather. We kind of had to rush through stuff sometimes and had to wait things out sometimes. And it was cold as hell sometimes, but Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I had mostly great time making that movie. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't have any sordid tales to tell about it. But, uh, um, oh, I will tell you something that did freak me out. This is the weirdest thing about it that I think is the weirdest thing about it is I found out that the craft service guy, it was really early into the shoot, thank God. Mm-hmm. One of the motels we stayed in, he washed the pots and pans and the dishes and the utensils that everybody was using to eat off of in the bathtub oh. of the motel. <laughs> No. Yeah. And so I watched, I walked in there one day and saw like tons of suds in there. I was like thinking, wow, he's going to have a bubble bath. And I looked and I was like, no, that's packed with dishes. Oh, my God. And that was the last time that I ate a cooked meal on the set. I I melted out everything I could. I I ate a lot of powered bars, a lot of granola, Mm -hmm. a lot of fresh fruit when we could find it. And, um, yeah, that's maybe the most sordid experience I had. <laughs> and I find now, you know, and now in retrospect, I find that that's probably the most, that's one of the biggest uh, differences between the different movies I work on, uh, like a, a big studio film, like by Universal with basketball versus, or Disney. I just did the Nightmare Alley, which is a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. They had amazing food. But yeah. I'll work on some other smaller project and they don't have the same budget, and the food is not so good. Would have been prepared. The work ethic. Here's the thing: the work ethic with the people is the same. You'll yeah. still find the same environment in terms of creativity with people actually trying to make something and work together as a team. That mm-hmm. doesn't change, no matter how how big the budget is. Sometimes it just seems like there's too many people. But the food is the main thing that <laughs> always. <laughs> that's when you know. What kind of movie you're on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, when, next time I look at my bathtub, I'll think about it, how it would look with a the whole week's worth of dishes in there. Yes, yeah, that's try to picture uh, chili and uh, no, uh, I mean, no. yeah, oh, he no. cooked things that were brown, so it was a brown bubble bath. Oh, so no. I, I mean, I can't imagine any of it being that clean after he worked on it. <laughs> it's, it's oh, not that man. I was looking for something negative for Cannibal the Musical because this is this is <laughs> this is just what people wrote on it, right? I well, don't know. ironically, it's about eating people, so that yeah. shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you what, that actually is a really good way for us to get into our our next uh, fan question here, which relates directly to Cannibal the Musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chelsea, are you are you ready to ask that question? I am. I am. Here we go. Cannibal the Musical had some pretty dedicated performances for being the first film that many of the crew were involved with. How did you prepare for this role since it was a combination of history, parody, and black comedy? Um, I actually I wanted to know, you know, and, and I was really scared to do that because I didn't know. First of all, I, I, I don't come from a musical theater background at all. Um, yeah. I'd always kind of shied away from that in high school, and I shouldn't have. I should have tried it. But um, I was always freaked out by it, and just, even more so just the style of acting because it's a very stylized, stylized like big fifties musicals, like uh, 
Oklahoma and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very stylized performances. You know, they're trying to be true and real and tell a story, and you believe these people, but they're also saying stuff in a very, in a bigger than life way that you wouldn't normally talk like. And so I and Trey was like, "This is how we're doing it. You know, you have to act like this." <laughs> I was like, "Dude, they're gonna think I'm the worst fucking actor ever." And he's like, "No, they're not." He's like, "Watch <laughs> Oklahoma." watch these musicals, watch their acting. He's like, watch Star yeah. Trek. He's like, copy William Shatner. He's like, <laughs> look what they're doing. He's like, it's okay. He's like, people will understand the joke. He's like, this is what we're doing. He's like, it's it's an homage, but it's also a, a tongue-in-cheek parody. And it's, um, yeah, so it was fun because I, I really, I had to go, okay, I'm just going to have fun with this. I just got to go, okay, this is just silly. And it's kind of like a live-action cartoon in a way. And so I watched yeah. musicals and I was like, okay, this is cool. Let's do this. This is awesome. And then the thing that's so cool now is that I've gotten to see high school productions and college productions of and, and professional productions of, yeah. of Hannibal the Musical. I've probably seen at least a dozen different ones. And it's so fun to see other people's interpretation of it and watching other people play my part. I saw a girl play my part and I just saw so many different uh, takes on it. And that's really fun. I think that's that's been the most rewarding part of it for me. I, I got to say, when I when I watched that for the first time, the the takeaway for me was the fact that everybody went for it in that movie. I mean, everybody, including yourself and and all of the cast. I'm not sure how Trey managed to do it, but like everybody bought in. Like everybody seemed to buy into that movie, and. Uh, and so I think that's what really makes it so endearing was that yeah. you've got these performances that you don't typically see, you know, in a, in a quote unquote, like amateur film. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, Trey's I mean, a great actor yeah. too. You know, I think he, he, uh, he showcased his talent right there um, in a really great way initially. And I mean, granted, yeah, everybody, like what you said is true. Everybody had a great time doing it, but I think that Trey had a really, amazing skill at pulling the best out of people and making sure they were having fun and making it feel like that on set. Yeah. Yeah. It it definitely looked that way. I mean, that's what comes across in the movie. Um, I guess the only thing I I did want to know about was when you had to cross a real river during the movie. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of those footnotes where I think even in the drunken commentary that you guys did for the film, it, it sounded like that may have been a rough experience for some folks. It was terrifying. We, yeah, it was so scary. We actually, and yeah, we, we almost, a couple of us, me included, almost drowned. The wow. river current was uh, considerably stronger than we had anticipated. The water wasn't that deep. It was only maybe just chest level, but it was so yeah. strong that we couldn't keep our footing at all. And it was completely pushing us back. And luckily we had a couple safety lines down the river in case you lost it, you'd hopefully be able to grab one of those lines. Mm-hmm. But that was so dangerous. That's kind of crazy that we, we did that. I, I, I know it would not have been done that way again if we did it. Um, we would definitely take more precautions. And we all had wetsuits on too. We, we had yeah. wetsuits we rented um, from a, a place that does whitewater rafting in Colorado. Mm-hmm. We put those on. It was the first time I'd ever worn a wetsuit and it worked. It was actually, it worked great. Actually, we wore that under our costumes and, uh, it, it was terrifying though. It was a terrible experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it sounded that way. Uh, when I was listening to the, the commentary, because I mean, 
even though the spirit of that commentary track was pretty loose, you know, like we mentioned, people were getting drunk during that commentary. They brought out this bottle of really expensive, expensive scotch. I, I am not a scotch expert, but apparently it's, it's great. It yeah. tasted amazing. It didn't even really taste like, you know, usually you take a, sh I don't know if you guys are drinkers, but I'm not anymore. I, I was, but when I would take a shot of cheap alcohol, it burns. Yeah. It was yeah. so smooth. It was so yeah. smooth. It was just like the most incredible. It was like drinking like maple syrup. And we got <laughs> so drunk so fast that we just became delirious. Oh, oh no. I think bad scotch is probably the worst bad alcohol you can have, too. I think so. I think yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, that great. was a fun commentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you actually kind of mentioned a little bit of this and, and how you kind of had that kick in the butt to to head in, you know, head out, head out west. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was actually curious to understand more of the the decision itself. Right. You mentioned that that was kind of the kick in the pants to go uh, or at least the the idea of getting involved in some of these films. But was there anything else really leading up to it, though, that that influenced you to finally do it? Was there any other pit stops on the way to make that decision to to move out towards uh, towards up the West Coast? No, I mean, I really, I needed money. I mean, I was working as a waiter for a while on top of doing the, uh, um, the counseling and, um, uh, working for the handicapped people. It was, uh, basically just a chance for me to save money for a couple of years. Cause I, I knew it was going to take a lot of money for me to move out here. And, uh, thankfully the money helped me move. So it wasn't a big chunk of money, but it was enough to, to get me out here and pay for a little bit of rent. And, um, try to find a job to keep keep doing that paying rent so um but i had a girlfriend that i was dating for a while that she uh she was from san diego and she she wanted to live with her family so i initially actually moved down and lived with her in san diego for a while not realizing how far away san, san diego was to la i thought i could just drive up there for an audition or something i didn't realize it's like two to three hours each way <laughs> you know, i was like that's like a full day of traveling Holy shit. i didn't realize it and trey and matt were like why didn't you just stay in colorado like what what are you doing in san diego and i was like oh, damn it, you're right so, they kind of talked me into breaking up with my girlfriend and uh, and uh but it should have happened ultimately but they they kind of helped me along with that. They were like, it's probably a good idea. So I did, I broke up and I, <laughs> I lived with them for months then. But yeah, the the biggest hiccup for me was just money, just trying to mm -hmm. keep it going. I think that's kind of the hiccup for everybody all the time. Yeah, just yeah, keep it going. does, does uh, mess things up and make things great all the yeah. same time. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to laugh about it because I mean, I, my wife and I were literally just talking about uh, you know, our first jobs when we got together. And so that struggle is, is, is not unique. You know, everybody goes through it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's kind of why I wanted to ask about this was, um, was to look into some of these, these films, right? Like obviously Campbell, the musical is, is just as much celebrated as, um, as, you know, basketball and, and orgasmo, um, on the set of Orgasmo, though, one of the things that kind of all three of us were talking about before this was, I mean, did we fully grasp what kind of film we were making, right? I mean, we're, like, this is a, a film where we've got porn stars coming from across the pond. Uh, <laughs> we've got some proto Book of Mormon stories that are coming in with Trey, you know. I mean, 
when when you made that film, Dean, I mean, what kind of thoughts were going through your head? Well, I, I read the script, so I knew it was going to be a funny story. So I could already kind of visualize it based on that. But my parents were not excited about it. <laughs> they did not read the script, but they knew the subject matter. And they knew the character that I was playing. And they they were convinced I was actually going to be involved in some softcore porn or something really <laughs> crazy. And uh, I had some crazy experiences when we came out here because we did actually go, we visited some adult film sets with some of the adult stars. And uh, it was a real eye opener. It was like not even remotely sexy. It was really mechanical and creepy and <laughs> man, it was weird. It was like so weird. And, and each, each time that I was there, I was thinking, my parents would be so upset right now if they knew. <laughs> like I'm actually right now in the worst place they thought I might be. <laughs> like I'm actually in the fucking mouth of the dragon right now. <laughs> so and yeah, so yeah, but I I knew it was going to be a funny movie because there's I mean there's not even any nudity in the film. You see naked guys' butts, and uh, it's. Uh, yeah pretty harmless all around i think and it's kind of crazy it got the rating it did considering uh there's something about mary which came out like right around the same time there's something about mary came out just before that i think got an yeah. r rating and it shows like a guy jacking off it shows him getting his nuts stuck in his zipper it shows yeah. him <laughs> blowing a load it shows that comb <laughs> being used as like moose yeah, like, <laughs> yep. pretty freaking hardcore compared to anything we did. We didn't do anything like that, and we could have. There's nothing that sorted in Orgasmo, and yet it got an NC-17 rating, which is crazy to me. So it, it, that sucked because it actually really limited a lot of the distribution for the movie. Newspapers yeah. didn't advertise it. A lot of theaters wouldn't carry it. Yeah. It was. It hurt. It hurt it bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which which is unfortunate because uh, I'm right there. I mean, obviously, you know, we're all we all enjoyed that film quite a bit. I mean, it's yeah. it, it I'm is fun a, making it. Yeah, <laughs> and once again, that that's kind of like the theme of what we've been seeing. Like th these are films where I, I would be shocked if people weren't cracking up the entire time they were being made. I mean, uh, yeah, it, we were laughing the whole time. We did. That's one of the the best things about working with Trey and Matt on each of the things we've done is we just pretty much laugh all day. We're like trying to make each other laugh. That was yeah. really cool with uh, with David Zucker working on basketball because he uh, he's really open to improvisation and he just he just wants to laugh. So he uh, he was open to anybody's idea. Like you get like a lighting crew guy, anybody. Mm -hmm. It was like it felt like such a family. Like anybody was like had an idea that they thought was funny. Yeah, we tried it and it made us laugh. He was like, "Well, let's film it because yeah. it just made me laugh. That's hilarious." And he's <laughs> he didn't have an ego about any of it whatsoever. And he let us improvise our lines. It was like such a fun atmosphere. It was probably the most fun I've ever had working on something because it was just a lot of it was a free for all, which was fun. <laughs> they had a great script that they were constantly mm -hmm. writing funny scenes for us, but we got to add a lot to that with uh, just little silly moments. It was cool. It was being dissed 13 or 14 more times ad libbed, or was that something that somebody wrote? <laughs> I think I did ad-lib that actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I ad-libbed that and I ad-libbed, uh, uh, are we going to the zoo? Yeah. <laughs> I love the zoo. I like my nods and elishes. That was where I always went with my best friends when I was a kid. 
that that in particular, they had you in a onesie and you're shoved into a cubby underneath the the locker. I mean, are, you mentioned being claustrophobic at at comic cons, but was that just as equally claustrophobic being stuffed into that drawer? It was a little weird. I mean, I yeah, it was really tight, but um, it opened up really easily, so I wasn't nervous about getting stuck in it. But yeah, it was pretty tight. I just the main thing I just had to make sure that I kept my head down tight enough because I was so scared because he pulls it open so easily and quickly. I could have yeah. caught my head on like part of it. It would have I could have jacked myself up pretty good. So <laughs> that was my main concern was actually trying to get in there even tighter. But yeah, uh, yeah that was a fun. That's egg. great. Uh, I mean, I think what's really funny right now is because of the Olympics, basketball has kind of come back into the the pop culture sphere because there's a lot because of parallels. Of the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the parallel between three on three basketball and, of course, three on three basketball. So, if you look at Twitter, everybody is out there going, "Why isn't like, why do we combine not- these?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag like, where's Lazy Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I actually, I've gone, I've actually gotten to play. Um, I went out, um, and played like in a, in a tournament, in a basketball tournament. And, uh, it's a fun game to play. Actually. It was, it's something that, that it's a real sport that basically David Zucker created with his friends. They, they lived on a street on, I think on a cul-de-sac where it didn't have a lot of traffic there. And, um, he and his neighbors just started playing it right there. They created this sport. And then, uh, I think he tried to promote it for a while. He was actually trying to make it into a, like more of a, like a, something that was televised, like an actual sport celebrities and people would be playing and things, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. it just evolved into the movie. But yeah, it's something he actually played with his friends. So That's it awesome. has a real, has it has street cred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's great. And we actually, um, so we actually covered some of that too in our uh, our coverage of like Trey Parker and Matt Stone's history, um, and obviously you know baseball came up. Your name came up quite a bit too, and that was the thing that kind of surprised us all was that this was a game being played in the streets, that's adapted mm-hmm. into a movie. I mean, I I still just I couldn't get past that. That was just so cool. Um, but yeah, I think it's still I think it's still relevant now, you know, because it's really a commentary about the commercialization commercializa- commercialization of all of it, and just how it's yeah. just such a big money, money machine, all yeah. the big sports are, you know, and uh, it, it, it can take a lot of the heart out of some of the fun, some of the play and why you're actually doing it. So I think the, the movie still has some good points. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a point which my wife and I legit just talked about the other day, uh, especially when they talk about how teams were moving and that the jazz went to a place where they don't allow music. Um, and, and, you know, all, all of these, these little things that were, that, yeah. uh, just make you bust out laughing in that movie, which, yeah. um, which kind of brings us to our next point though, about how, you know, the, the work that you did around this time was like a tidal wave of comedy and, you know, you were attached as well to, uh, two guys and a girl as well. Um, you know, appearing in the, uh, I believe the last four episodes of, of, uh, of that show, right? Yeah, yeah, I did the last four episodes. I had a recurring character, and it it got canceled after after the, my fourth episode, unfortunately. And mm. uh, yeah, I had so much fun on that. It was like it was like doing theater again, but with mm. a safety net because you have a live live audience there. So you're it's like doing a play. You're getting that automatic feedback and 
real laughter from the audience and it's such an awesome feeling it's like it's so cool but you have the safety net of knowing that if you screw up you they can call cut and you can do it again you can't do that on on stage you have to mail it so yeah. it's it's a chance for you to have that same feeling again but know that if you mess up they can go back and and fix it but they do it with a three camera setup so you're playing depending on uh how many cameras they're using but you try to kind of work your energy to different cameras depending you kind of work it like the stage like you would on in in theater you work the whole mm -hmm. thing to some degree but then you also kind of channel into whatever is kind of focusing in on you but it's that was probably the most fun i had um technically and professionally on a movie i think that basketball was fun just from the atmosphere of playing and laughing with friends but on just a pure professional level and really understanding how a show is put together and all the components mm -hmm. i really appreciated how hard it is to to pull off a sitcom and, and TV, a three camera show. And, and me, I mean, there's a lot of TV out there that is a three camera setup, a sitcom that I wouldn't watch that it's, it's dumb TV, a lot of it, <laughs> but it's hard to do. It's hard to do, make mm -hmm. it, even if it's bad, it's hard to do that kind of stuff. And it's, it's hard to, for those actors to have, um, to have that energy throughout and keep, keep doing it. Cause like when you're working on a movie, you might only work on one little scene all day, Yeah, but you're working through the whole show in front of an audience. You're doing a play a couple times. It's kind of like you perform a play two or three times in front of an audience. Yeah. Yeah. And trying to keep that energy and make it, make it believable too. I mean, we struggled to do intros and outros for this show. <laughs> it's not some terribly canned written thing. It's like, Oh, that was horrible. We tried it again. Let alone yeah. actually having the energy to perform like that. That's incredible. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. Mm -hmm. I would love to be on a sitcom again. I actually, I was really lucky um, that I met Gary Oldman. He's my all time favorite actor. And he, uh, he was talking about how he would really love to work on a sitcom, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think that that would be, something that he would embrace but he said that he would love it but he's not really given the chance to do it he got to do it when he was a guest on friends you know because yeah. he did uh, lost in space and uh so um you know he had that connection God, i can't remember the joe leblanc um, yeah. Yeah. Or matt leblanc yeah he became friends with joey so matt leblanc brought him on and it's uh I think that was probably something that he would like to do all the time, but he just doesn't get that chance. And it's, um, yeah, I would love to do that. If I had a steady gig doing a sitcom, I'd be so happy. Yeah. I think yeah. we all would be, especially if we were getting that friends money, you know, just a daily work aspect. It'd be fun. Cause you go each day, Monday through Friday and you rehearse during the day. And then, um, and Friday you do it in front of an audience. And you do everything you worked on all week with all the tweaks and things, and you hope you get it right. But it's something that it's like a daily job, and you you show up and try to get your job done. And I loved it. I loved the whole schedule to it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Which well, yeah, which yeah. Uh, kind of brings us to uh, our our third fan question. Since it was we were just talking about sitcoms, um, and two guys and a girl. It's one of those sitcoms that had or really one of those shows that's actually received or hit a cult status and a lot of people kind of like rediscover the show and kind of, you know, well, that's where, you know, it's not going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like Nathan Fillion, 
I became yeah. friends with him on that show, and he's he's such a nice guy. He's uh, it's got some really great people attached to it, you know. I mean, it's yeah. um, yeah. So I think I'm sure fans, I know Nathan Fillion is huge in like the pop culture scene. He does like the Green Lantern voice, and he's done a lot of stuff. But yes, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's drawn people back to revisit that show. I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I mean, you you're there too. Like, which again, like that show had so many great little gem, hidden gems to it. Um, like, where do you think it sits in like it's like kind of its place in pop culture history? I don't know. It got canceled, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, I mean, good shows get canceled all the time. It's true. Like, I mean, you look at yeah. Nathan Fillion, like, um, oh, Firefly, Firefly canceled. Yeah. Like, like, there's definitely no nerd that's over that yet. Yeah, um. <laughs> I think uh, I don't know. I think it's uh, I think it's still a fun show. I haven't gone back to revisit any of it in a while. I think I actually have copies of it on on VHS. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> I have not pulled out my VHS in quite some time, so I haven't really gotten to revisit those in a while. But I think the last time I saw it was maybe kind of had to have been over ten years ago. Mm -hmm. But it yeah. struck me as still funny then, so I hope it still is. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I think the whole, I think the humor still holds up. I love two guys and a girl. <laughs> it was great. Mm -hmm. I was going to say I think it still holds up extremely well. And to kind of piggyback off of this time period, though, we also wanted to talk about something that I think is just as anchored in this this moment, and that would be some of your early viral fame with you know with Sam Macaroni uh, and you know Captain Jackson roommates, uh, you know later uh, mm -hmm. Dimwits, for example. I want to just do a quick look back at that with you too, because those have also had resurgences through the years um, as folks have found that again. And I, I remember that it was one of the first like viral videos that I ever saw was, uh, was roommates. Um, so looking back to, to those, then these are the days when you actually had to basically, if you put a video out there, we had to you pay had for the streaming. It wasn't free. It actually yeah. cost us money every time somebody watched our movie or watched oh. our shows. Yeah, yeah, it was insane. We, uh, uh, thankfully, we had a really cool lawyer who thought we were funny. <laughs> He's like, let's make some more of those things and make me funny or make me laugh. So he, he actually gave us money. He gave us a small budget to film the roommate stuff, but he also paid for all the streaming service for us and maintained the website for us. He was so nice. And looking back on that, I, I didn't realize at the time what it was actually costing him, but yeah, it was crazy that, that they had to do that. It, mm -hmm. Things have changed so much on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember tons of people were watching it and I didn't know about the cost per, you know, per view until years later. So that was yeah. crazy that you would have to basically go out and get sponsors to put your, yeah. your stuff out there. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, part of that effort that we were looking at was, you know, was that the lawyers side of this or were you guys, you know, producing, acting and, and essentially having to market your own work? Wait, what were what, we, what, what now? Was it all the lawyer doing it? You mean? Yeah. Like who, like, I guess who was, uh, who was behind that? Like, were you guys having to go out and find sponsors on your own? Like, what was that struggle like to, to get that on? Our sponsor was our lawyer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Easy enough. <laughs> he for all of it. It's crazy. He was ridiculously generous. It cost him so much money. And I, yeah, I'm really thankful. I'm real. I feel, I feel kind of bad because I didn't realize it, but he was okay with it. He was comfortable with it. But I was like, 
wow, I didn't realize you had to pay for all that. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea because I was not tech savvy. I wasn't knowledgeable about any of that stuff. I was just glad that he was taking care of it. He just told me and Sam just to make funny stuff. And so we tried to, and then he took care of the rest for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed pretty much all of the shorts that you guys and made. We, yeah. Well, you know, what's cool is you can watch them. A lot of them we put on a, as a bonus feature. If you get the, uh, we did a sketch comedy that actually what that all ended up being doing the roommates and other little, little short, weird things, little vignettes and things we put on the internet eventually blossomed into us getting money from national lampoon. And we did national oh, yeah. lampoons TV, the movie which is yeah. a sketch comedy film that's basically a collection of all the kind of dumb stuff we were putting on the internet. And, uh, <laughs> and we called it a movie. <laughs> and uh, some of the bonus features on the DVD um, are a bunch of the roommates episodes. So you can actually still revisit some of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and, and I was either going to explicitly state that or, or hopefully you would have, because I, I know that that's like a, it's just kind of a time capsule of your, your creativity too and watching it change throughout the years, which kind of brings us to where things kind of shifted for you too as an actor because um you know you, you went from a pretty healthy amount of comedy to going towards some more drama related uh you know roles even more like kind of horror uh too in a sense and so i was interested about that and to to find out when did we start to look at those kinds of opportunities and and how did that happen I've always loved that kind of stuff. I just wasn't um, getting opportunities yet until I started on my own networking with people and meeting uh, um, uh, fans, I guess, people that were mm -hmm. that enjoyed stuff I did before that were now filmmakers and they were giving me opportunities like the murders of Brandywine theaters. One of the first dramatic things I did. And it kind of feels like an old like Twilight Zone episode and which I love. That's like my all time favorite mm -hmm. TV show. So I was really happy to do that. And it's yeah. um, something that I've just actually had to work on networking on my own, just because I'm a big fan of monster makeup and that kind of stuff. So that's one of the jobs I've had since I've been out here. Oh, when cool. I first moved out here, I, was, I befriended a bunch of makeup artists. So I got to work on some really cool movies. And that's actually how I met Gary Oldman was at a makeup effects studio. Very and cool. um, But I've always been a fan of monster makeup and all that kind of stuff. And I, uh, I was able to make make some really cool friends with some people that make those kinds of movies, and um, hopefully, I get to keep doing that. It uh, it eventually led to me getting to do the Guillermo del Toro movie, which is um, really uh, a blessing. It was something that blossomed out of my love for uh, uh, monster makeup because uh, the head makeup artist that's on it, Mike Hill, he also was uh, the head makeup uh, guy that worked on. Uh, he's the artist that did The Shape of Water. The Guillermo del Toro yeah, movie, the one yeah. that was the best picture. He did all the the creature on that. He did the monster, which um, Doug Jones played the role of that. And uh, yeah, so he did the prosthetic work on that. And I, I just have always been a fan of his work. He's brilliant. He's just he's absolutely the mm -hmm. the most talented makeup artist that I've witnessed. He's he's I've seen so many. I mean, the the industry is packed with so many people. That are incredibly talented but i think mike is one of the only ones that really when i look at some of his artwork some of the sculptures and things he puts together in front of me it looks like real things like it doesn't look like it looks like a living thing wow. yeah he's so good and uh so I've, I've hung out with him quite a bit and gotten to see some of the stuff he's done and he was really very kind and basically put together after he was hired to work on nightmare alley he saw some of the character designs and 
um, in the script and wanted to uh, see if I would maybe be right for some of those parts. So I came in and did some makeup tests with him and tried out some some stuff he was experimenting with. And then uh, eventually um, he put together a whole like video and photo portfolio basically in a presentation for me to play this character that's actually based on a real character, an historical character that I can't really talk about yet because my mm -hmm. character is kind of a, a surprise at the end of the movie. But sure. it's, uh, it's a real small part, but it's, <laughs> it's so cool. It's such a cool character. And uh, I got to wear some really neat makeup in it. But uh, Guillermo del Toro, was, he, was, he was awesome, and he, he hired me. So he, <laughs> he looked at the videos that, that Mike put together in the photos and was like, yeah, let's do it. So I was out there for two months in Toronto. And um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. I got to uh, I got to finally see how my love of something like that, just loving mm -hmm. monsters and makeup like that, could eventually turn into me getting to wear that kind of stuff yeah. in a movie that I think is going to be really cool. It's coming out December third, and I think it's going to be right on on par with anything else he's done before. I think that mm -hmm. it's it's a really cool movie that it's a a remake of it's uh, an old 1947 film called nightmare alley same title but it's based on a novel and it's uh stars this guy named amazing star back mm -hmm. uh, back in the 40s by the name of tyrone power he did so many movies he did like zorro and he was mm -hmm. like swashbuckler kind of guy but he was this really cool hero like mm -hmm. action like tom cruise kind of guy back then and he really wanted to do something dramatic and showcase his range more. He wanted the public to really appreciate him more as a serious actor. So he, this, he really embraced Nightmare Alley as his chance to do that. And the movie was not really well received. It was really dark when it came out. Mm -hmm. I think at the time people were looking for more uplifting stories um, in cinema. And so it got kind of lost, but it's a beautiful movie. I saw this incredible uh, print over at the Egyptian theater, which is this historic theater in Hollywood and uh, it was a silver nitrate print, and Ooh. it's a really rare print. It's highly flammable. Mm -hmm. it literally, the film will explode if it's not handled <laughs> properly. Wow. They had two. Yeah, they actually had to have fire technicians. They have people there that handled. They could only have those people in the booth, um, and the the image, the blacks and the whites were so clear and sharp it wasn't it wasn't like any other black and white movie I'd ever seen. And the little mm -hmm. scratches and stuff on the film actually kind of added this atmosphere to it, kind of like when you listen to an old vinyl record and you hear the pops and scratches yeah, and kind of adds something yeah, to it, mm -hmm. kind of yeah. does something. It did. It kind of had that same effect when I was watching the movie. So I was watching in the theater thinking, this movie is so fucking cool. I mean, if, <laughs> if Guillermo del Toro can do something even remotely mm -hmm. like this, it's going to be amazing because it was so creepy and awesome and dark. It's such a sordid, mm -hmm. sordid tale. And it's... um yeah. Um, got some amazing actors in the remake that Guillermo's doing because he's got uh, it's going to be the first movie he's done that isn't fantasy oriented whatsoever mm -hmm. um, even though I'm wearing prosthetic makeup I'm not a fantasy character I'm based on a real person and um, yeah it's it's more of just a thriller crime story and it's uh, more of a character study and it's um, so cool it's got Willem Dafoe yeah. who I was so so excited to meet and work with <laughs> he's like the coolest guy and that, that was one thing i wanted to tell you guys when i was realizing that that you guys are based in wisconsin i was like oh my god you'll love this because i don't know mm -hmm. if you're aware of this willem dafoe is, is from wisconsin and when i went yeah. up to meet him, i was watching him 
on set, he was doing this scene. And when they called cut, he was still rehearsing. He's, his work ethic is incredible. He just would not stop rehearsing. Mm -hmm. And he was just still going through the motions and doing his stuff. So I left him alone. I was just watching him going, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing. I'm watching Willem Dafoe rehearse in this movie. <laughs> like, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. And so I waited till he was done. And then he went over and took a break. And he was standing alone. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to go talk to him. So I went over. And this is the thing, too, with being on the set during COVID. It wasn't a friendly atmosphere mm -hmm. where people could kind of hang out and schmooze and talk like you normally would. You were really trying to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're, we were instructed to keep our distance from people and we always had to wear our masks when we weren't acting. Mm -hmm. And we had every two days, we had to do a swabbing a test to make sure we didn't have COVID. It was really wow. strict about all the guidelines yeah. we had to follow. But I was like, fuck this. I'm talking to one to phone. So I went over there and I was like, hey. So I introduced myself and I was like, because we hadn't worked together yet. And uh, I was like, man, I was just watching you rehearse and I'm just so impressed by your work ethic and he was really cool he was so nice i was like oh my god i can't believe i'm talking shop about acting with willem dafoe <laughs> he was like oh yeah he's like i love to rehearse he's a big fan of rehearsing and he thinks it's ridiculous when actors don't want to rehearse and i i understand some actors want to be in the moment and just think that they're experiencing something new and that's being filmed mm -hmm. but what they don't yeah. realize going back to the stage and theater is theater actors have to do that every night over and over and over again and make it look like it's the first time you did it. Yeah. That's what acting is about. Yeah. That's you have to do it. That's mm -hmm. what it's about. So of course you should be rehearsing. So I, I'm, I'm on board with his ideology about that completely. So I was talking to him about that and he, he was so cool. Cause he, uh, he told me that he was a Midwestern guy too. And I was like, really? And he, yeah. he told me that he went to the university of Wisconsin. Yeah. And, I didn't realize he apparently maybe did some kind of research on me because he knew <laughs> he knew that I worked with David Zucker on basketball. And he said, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, it's funny. He's like, we have what we have David Zucker in common. He's like, I actually started my acting with David Zucker at the University of Wisconsin. No way. The very first thing he ever did. <laughs> this is how he said he got interested in doing theater and doing stage. He was involved in a theater company called the Kentucky Fried Theater Company which eventually evolved into the Kentucky Fried movie, which is a sketch comedy, kind of like the TV, the movie that we did. Only yeah, versus, yeah. I think, much more clever. But yeah, they, <laughs> they made this movie. But it started with a theater group with these college kids. And uh, Willem Dafoe was in that college theater group acting with David Zucker. So I was like, yeah. that is so crazy. That is such a weird, crazy, amazing coincidence. <laughs> but I was just really grateful and thankful that he was so nice and so down to earth. Because he's yeah. an idol of mine. And they always tell you, you know, don't meet your idols. But because mm -hmm. you might be disappointed. Yeah. And thank God I wasn't because he's so cool. <laughs> he's like, and <laughs> his eyes, you look in his eyes. And I was reminded that he played Jesus in a Last mm -hmm. Temptation <laughs> of Christ, Martin Scorsese's yeah. yeah. movie. And yeah. when you're looking at him, he looks like like he's got Jesus power because his eyes are like, <laughs> these, like these blue crystals that like mm -hmm. pierce into you. And it's like you're like. There's no way I could ever lie to you because you will know. <laughs> you will absolutely know, Willem Dafoe. I know I, I'm absolutely positive. I think that's why he was picked to play Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, he really does. He does have that sense about him. You're like, wow, you're like, you've got some power. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's a very cool guy. So that was awesome. Well, I, I love that you bring up prep, Dean, because that actually brings us 
directly to uh, fan question number four that uh, Chelsea is going to deliver for us here. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of already touched on the murders of Brandywine Theater. The role you play of Henry Costa um, is very different from others that you've portrayed. How did you prepare for this role and the personality differences from other works? Um, hmm. How did I prepare? Well, well, he's a very he's a very sad person, so. Mm -hmm. I think I hate watching myself perform. Like every time I watch myself in a movie, all I could think about is everything I would go back and change. <laughs> That's <laughs> worst, all worst art, experience right? for me. So <laughs> now for me watching that movie, even though it's cool, it's, it's fun. And it's, it was great, a great experience. I just, I want to go back and redo it. Cause I think I sat in too much sadness in my character. He wasn't expressive yeah. enough, but he was somebody that I felt was hollowed out and didn't really have a voice anymore. And he was using uh, this puppet as his uh, his voice box. And I actually, uh, I watched a lot of uh, ventriloquist acts and watched how they do it. And uh, the one thing I noticed, no matter how good any of them are, the very best ones, all of them, I noticed that they, uh, they're epiglottis, they're, they're, they're it, th it moves. I mean, not the epiglottis, the, uh, I don't know what it is. There's something in here, but it flexes. It moves the whole time. But you can get that same uh, physical reaction. That's the only time you'll see something. On, if they're really good, you won't even see their move, mouths moving. But you always see this moving. Always. They can't hide it. Yeah. And uh, so I realized that you can actually do that. You can make that same thing happen in your neck by when you swallow. Every time you swallow, it does that. Mm -hmm. And so... I realized when I saw the director, I was like, because initially I was thinking that maybe I could do both voices. I could actually work the puppet and do his character. Yeah. But it was too much. And we realized that it would be better if it was another voice. It would be more creepy if it wasn't my voice, that it would give mm -hmm. more of the idea that it was this weird possessed doll. So we, and I was very thankful from an actor's standpoint because it was less work for me to do. <laughs> but what that meant was that when I was holding him and working him, when he's talking, I still had to flex it and make it move here, but I had to make it look like I was doing the voice. So That's while he's so talking, cool. I had to constantly be swallowing so that you would see me do it. So it looked like I was still working him kind of as a ventriloquist. So there's little things yeah. like that that I researched to try to see actually how it, how it happens or what it looks like when it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. That's something to look for too. Cause I mean, I, I I've seen that film before and now I'll be looking at that again. Watch me swallow. See now that that's what the mark is. Swallowing. <laughs> that sounds really rough after orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Huh. Well, that, that brings us to kind of our coverage of this, this segment, which we, we called the Vitrudian man. Uh, because of, of of all the talents that you have and the things that you've brought together, um, you've had some some adventures in producing music as well as uh, recording a, a cover of a, a Beck song as well. And mm -hmm. so um, I had we've had a chance to listen to that. We wanted to, to to learn more about how you you know found these projects. When I was in uh, Toronto, I had there was a lot of stuff where I was just on hold, where I had some free time, where I could actually do a little bit of sightseeing and 
and move around town and explore. And I met this really cool musician. And uh, he was a fan of basketball and some other stuff I'd done. And uh, he'd show me, he actually gave me a link after I met him to some of the stuff he was doing music-wise. And he was in a few bands. And I was like, wow, I've always wanted to be in a band. I've always wanted to make some music. And he's like, well, do you want to make a song? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so because of COVID, we couldn't be together at the same time. So he couldn't come into my apartment. So he had to drop off equipment. He dropped off um, all this nice recording equipment for me. And off at the door and then sent me an instructional video on how to do it and uh i basically just set it up and recorded in my apartment that they had for me in toronto and there's this beck song i really liked and the reason why i picked this one was because i really missed my wife and i missed my dog zoe and uh you know i missed my family so i was like man i'm gonna do a song that's kind of kind of referencing that and i really had been singing this song that Beck played for a while because I just liked the words, the lyrics. So I was like, well, that's a song I really know. I know that I know those words really well and I'll just try it. So I did it. So I recorded my version of it and then I gave that uh, digital copy to him. He came and picked it up and then he put it together with his music and we combined it and made a cool song. So I basically was a gift for my wife. I gave it to her. Oh, cool. And uh, and she's she's an amazing rock star. She's a musician. She's a real like she's the real deal. So I was kind of nervous to actually show it to her. But I was like, well, at least she'll know that it's coming from a good place. I think it's all right. But um, I had a lot of fun doing it. So I would actually um, the guy, Jordan, that I worked with, he uh, he expressed some interest in maybe wanting to do some more stuff maybe, but not, not, we'll see. I've actually written a ton of poems and things that I was looking at over the years. And I was like, huh, maybe, maybe some of these are songs. Maybe I could actually do something with some of them. So I don't know, maybe I'll do that. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, and that, that brings me kind of to our next point about your, your time as a writer. Cause you, you mentioned to me that you've, you've been working on a screenplay. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously you, you've done some of the work for um, my neighborhood as well. And I don't know if you can talk about your screenplay or not, but we wanted to understand some more of your experiences in writing. And obviously poetry is really cool. We didn't know if there was anything else that you've, you've spent some time uh, formulating there. Yeah, I'm working on uh, the second draft now. I just got a draft done of uh, sort of a neo-noir neo kind of murder mystery, actually. It's um, set in modern times. It's about a, a homicide in L.A. in Hollywood and an L.A. detective solving their murder with the help of a uh, homeless guy. And uh, it's got some kind of surreal, supernatural elements to it a little bit, but it's um, it's something, that a, a character that I'm writing for, my par for myself, I want to play a part in it, but it's uh, something that once I get it done, once I get the second draft, I'm going to hopefully get financing. I mean, I, I, would, I would not be opposed to selling the script, but ultimately I'd like to try to make it for, and be in some creative control and actually play a part in it. But it's uh, a story that I actually came up with from a dream. I actually had this really cool dream and it was so vivid. And I woke up and I was really thankful that I started writing down what I was remembering in the dream. And that turned into being something that was another story that I was working on. There was another story idea that I had. And I realized when I had this dream that the dream was actually a better story 
and that the other story I was working on could just be a smaller component within that story. And uh, so I just started working it and retooled the other story I was working with. And then, uh, and then also started revisiting this other uh, piece that I was doing with some of the same characters. And I was realizing maybe it would be cool to maybe have a continuation of that world. So now I'm also writing a play that has some of the same characters in it, but it's a, not a continuation, but it's a story that exists within that same world. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I got ex I got inspired realizing that uh, I should probably, not only after doing a second draft of my script, another great way to workshop your ideas is to write a novelized version of your script. Because it's not only another way to copyright or to protect your story in another format but it's also another way to explore the story further but it's also if it's a good movie another way for you to make some money yeah yeah they're gonna ask yeah. in the book race and so you maybe make you know i would recommend that to any writer that's thinking about writing a, a movie if you think that that would make a good book you should do that too because that's that's another paycheck and that's another way for you to protect your story it's another way to make sure you like your story yeah. maybe after you write the novel you want to go back and revisit your screenplay and um, it's just another way for you just to, to put it out there. But uh, I'm a procrastinator and I haven't been getting this done as quickly as I should have. I talked a big game here, but it's uh, <laughs> something that I should have gotten done sooner, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I, um, I need to embrace the, the writing aspect of myself uh, more so than I have. Well, to describe what our, our listeners can't see, uh, just hearing... Just watching you talk about it, Ian, I can tell that this is this is obviously very important to you. I mean, I can I can just kind of see that the the passion and the gears turning there. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, obviously, if if uh, if this is something you ever need us to help rep in the future, we're more than happy to do so for you. Oh, yeah. that's very it's, nice. It sounds, yeah. That's very yeah. cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It sounds know, awesome. When I'm done with it, and it's something that I'm comfortable and ready to showcase. I would love to see what you guys think about it. But it's uh. Yeah, I'm not going to give anything away about the story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Nope, keep that. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. right. yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely keep that part. But speaking about projects and and things that are uh, coming up here, it actually is a really good segue to our last fan question. And Joe, will will take it away. Yeah. So, like, uh, we got to talk about Nightmare Alley a little bit. And that's uh, coming out in December. Mm -hmm. But you've got five other things in IMDb coming up here. You've got... Uh, loaded deck, road to win it, uh, wherever. Uh, ah, Roach. Um, <laughs> Chronicles of a Lonely Mind, and Proxy to the People. Is there anything of any of these titles that you can you can share about, or let us know? Um, uh, basically anything you could talk about about them. Um, yeah, the road to wherever is. Uh, those are all. They're all independent movies you mentioned, mm -hmm. and they. Uh, I think they're currently still working on getting their all their financing together. Um. But uh, yeah, the uh, the road to wherever is going to be uh, like a heartfelt road comedy. I've got a small fun role in that, a supporting role, and it's about a guy kind of coming to some self realizations after he goes on a road trip with another mm -hmm. guy, and then uh, the yeah, uh, and then the uh, oh, what's the other one? Um, Loaded Deck. That's uh, it's sort of a like a heist movie. It's a nice. Ooh, yeah! I'll play like a like this computer tech, like this tech nerd guy, the Silicon Valley guy who uh, wants to be tougher than he is, and he wants to be like a, he wants to be kind of a hitman guy. But he's he's hired on with his crew of other people to 
mm-hmm. shake down this mop boss guy and, and rob his house basically Ooh. but it's uh that could be a cool movie it's got some really that- dialogue and it's a really fun character it's it'd be a lot of fun for me because it's it's got a comedic mm-hmm. aspect to it but it's also um serious so i'll play it straight and uh yeah it'll be cool yeah, yeah, I'm bold move knocking off a mob boss like that. Yeah, that, that should be yeah. always a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love heist movies. I'm always mm-hmm. Yeah, so like you talked about like that one, like you said it was more of a serious role. Did that, uh, and even like to you hearing you talk about Nightmare Alley, where you've got you've watched the original and it was so so amazing to you, and you know you're working with Guillermo del Toro, who has definitely um, an air about him in Hollywood and the movies he makes. And then mm-hmm. you just gushed over Willem Dafoe. Did you get any anxiety like being on that set over like, this is a big deal. This is really, this is really huge. It's different than other stuff I've made. Um, how do you go from like genre to genre and, and maintain like the level of quality that you do as an actor? Well, like I was saying before, I think that each set I work on, you know, the work ethic, everybody's there doing this, the jobs, you know, you know, the sound guy and the lighting guy is doing the same work on a big studio film that the guys on the smaller independent ones are doing, you know, still, it takes the same skill set and the same cooperation. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that, that atmosphere doesn't change. It's just, um, when I'm seeing people like Willem Dafoe in front of me, I'm definitely losing my shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely starstruck by it. But, uh, Mm -hmm. ultimately when you're in the moment of acting, um, you just hopefully can convince yourself. Ultimately that's what it is, Mm -hmm. is you're convincing yourself that you believe what is happening is real. You believe that you're the person that you are and you believe it so much that hopefully the people watching you believe it too. Mm-hmm. So you just gotta, hopefully if you're acting and you're playing your part, you forget mm-hmm. that it's Willem Dafoe. You're like, oh, it's this other dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Got, yeah. So I don't know. It's um, There were some really cool celebrities in, uh, in basketball. Like that was the first time I ever saw like somebody like Ernest Borgnine, who's an Academy mm-hmm. Award winner. Mm-hmm. Like seeing that guy in person, I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, he's just got a big presence anyway. He just mm-hmm. had such a big personality and was such a big charismatic person. But regardless, I was just like, wow, this is like, this is the real deal. This is an Academy Award winning actor who's been in Hollywood forever and has done so much stuff. And Robert Vaughn, who is the, the same. Oh, God, like, yeah. yeah, I'm watching these guys act and I'm like, holy shit. Because <laughs> I can't believe I'm in the same movie with you. Like you guys are so much better at this than I am. Like, oh my god! So yeah, it's like moments like that. You're like you're really happy that that you're getting a chance to mm-hmm. hopefully help tell a story with these people. But you try to forget that you're being starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know that I shared this with with Chelsea and Joe when we were talking about this this episode and. For me, when whenever I've seen whether it's a, a short film or you know any of the, the films that you've been in, I mean, I I view you as a scene stealer. I really do. I, I totally view yeah. everything. Yeah, that you do. I mean, when you mentioned the the idea of something being believable, and and feeling what the you know the page is trying to tell you, um, I think I think we all agree that we we believe that when we see you act and you 
perform. Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, thank you. totally we do. Um, well, that's nice. I don't, that's nice of you to say. I don't want to be a scene sealer, though, you know, necessarily. I don't want oh, to be yeah. somebody that, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a star. I think the idea of a star is kind of crazy. I want to be, I want to be like Gary Oldman. I want to be somebody that just, you forget you're watching that guy and you really believe it's that other character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, so it's nice of you to say that, that I've stolen a scene, but I don't <laughs> want to ever really feel like I'm standing out. I want to feel like I'm just helping add to the story. Well, and that's the thing. I, I don't even think it's like a, a stealing in the sense that you might hear in other movies, right? Like where where someone calls you like, and to quote Galaxy Quest, which you were actually in, <laughs> uh, one of the lines from Alan Rickman was that you called me a scene stealing hack. And and that's that's not really what I mean when I say scene stealer. <laughs> I, 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 so like when, when I see you in a, in a film um, or, or any of your works, like I, I, I don't know, there's something about like the energy you bring to a scene that, that makes me fixate on you and yeah i mean it's it's just always been that way for me I, and even even since seeing some of your earliest stuff with with cannibal and onwards so um but i, I well, guess for you. us to um yeah for us to to kind of wrap things up here because obviously we want you to be able to get back to the mm-hmm. you know the, the the family that you love and your your adorable puppy oh um, yeah you want to see my puppy yeah. oh heck yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah <sure. laughs> He's amazing i just adopted a new doggy the dog that I was mentioning to you before, Zoe, she passed away. Aww. She passed away in February. It was That's still so really hard. hard. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've got this new amazing little dude. Hold on a second. Yes. This is Lando. Oh, Lando. Lando. Oh, Lando Fandango. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he's adorable. <laughs> oh, For those of you listening, Lando is licking Dean. It's adorable. <laughs> he is awesome. Oh man, he's about awesome. maybe two years old, and we rescued him, and we've had him for about two months now. Oh, and he's uh, he's my new hairy baby. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's that he's adorable, and uh, but yeah, I, you know, I guess to kind of wrap things up here, though, um, you know, are there are there any other projects that you would like both our fans and your fans to know about? Uh, anything else going on in your life right now? Hmm. Not at the moment that I can think of. I don't know. I'm just trying to work on getting my stuff finished so I can finally share it with people. But and when I do, when I have it ready, if you guys could help me with that, that'd be really cool. But I don't know. I don't Absolutely. really have anything. Mm-hmm. We talked about everything. Yeah, I think we may have stolen a little bit of thunder, and I apologize for that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I guess to, to to bluntly say it though, Dean, I mean, we we absolutely wanted to. Uh, to showcase as much of your work as we could because mm-hmm. i mean you've got a, a ton of great stuff out there and especially for the folks that mainly know you for you know baseball or for you know or, or for orgasmo like there's so much diversity in your portfolio and there's so much great stuff to look at that um we really hope we can drive more folks towards that and and uh, keep doing that for you so oh thank you yeah 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 thanks a lot i appreciate it. you guys have been a lot of fun to talk to so it's been awesome. Yeah, it's been so much Thank fun having you. you. So happy you were, you were able to, like, you know, take time out of your day and hang out with us. Yeah, it's pretty easy when you can do this from home. It's so nice. You just <laughs> <laughs> who knew technology could be so fun? Yeah. <laughs> Man, that was a lot of fun. Really 
really liked this episode. Dean, such a cool guy to talk to. Uh, and uh, really easy to talk to. Kind of just felt like catching up with an old buddy, uh, to be honest, the more uh, more we got into things. So hearing about, um, you know, everything he's he's been in and uh, how uh, food is the biggest way to determine the difference between filming a studio show versus an indie <laughs> show. Like, this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm I am right there with you. Like getting to talk with Dean definitely felt like we were talking to an old friend, and uh, getting to hear some of the stories from the field was just a an honor and a privilege to be a part of. So, Dean, I think it goes without saying, and I will speak on behalf of the show that you are welcome back anytime you want, sir. Uh, so definitely, uh, we'll, we'll make time for him again. And speaking of making time for him again, uh, hopefully we can have Dean back to talk about the upcoming Guillermo del Toro film, Nightmare Alley, which Dean will be starring in, which releases on December 3rd of this year nationwide. So be on the lookout for that. Um, there's actually some information on that out now. So uh, feel free to dig in. But looking ahead to next week, we're actually going to be talking to a friend of ours uh, named Kevin the Critic. He's a, a very well-established film critic um, who's going to be lending us his talents as we break down the film Ready Player One. Uh, for those of you who have read the book and have seen the movie, we're going to focus just on the film. As uh, as you can tell, we don't always like to read here, but we do occasionally when we're required to. So Kevin's going to help us out. We look forward to breaking down what's really a modern classic, uh, as many of us here are, are, are very big fans of it. So definitely tune in next week. And until next time, keep on dissecting.